0: Yeah, so we have been going through Leviticus 18. Last time we were meeting, we were talking about gender roles in marriage and the idea of submission and leading. And I told you guys last time that we were going to finish that talk today, but I lied. So I thought it would be cooler if Bo and Sylvia could give that talk and just from their marriage. But Sylvia was unprepared for this week because I told Bo on Monday. And that was my fault. <laughs> and then I didn't
1: tell Sylvia until till like Tuesday.
0: So that was a lot of bad communication. This is not how you lead in a marriage or anywhere else. Yeah, you need to have good communication for that. So that didn't happen. But
1: you gave us a good option.
0: I am leaving town. Me and Emma are going to Disney World the last week of November. So that Wednesday... Bone Silver are going to be in here. It's going to be awesome. So We're going to talk about gender roles. We're going to talk about gender roles. Yep. It's going to be amazing. So, yeah, if you guys have plans that weekend, break them, come in. It's going to be amazing, and I hope you guys are blessed. Yeah, it'll sure. be fun. It'll be awesome. And I'm definitely looking forward to listening to the recording, so Ian, don't mess it up. <laughs> cool. So since we're skipping over that, we're skipping over the idea of gender roles, we're moving into this idea of homosexuality, which is the, the main hot-button topic in Leviticus 18. As we talked about before we made it into this, this chapter, that most of America agrees with the majority of Leviticus 18. Um, doesn't mean that everybody does. Like some people do disagree with the incest laws. They don't think that those should be a part of sexual morality anymore. But for the most part, most people you run into on the street are going to say, "Yeah, incest and bestiality are not good. We shouldn't be practicing that, um, and that's that's okay." This is the big part of Leviticus 18 that people mostly disagree with, though, um, and it's going to begin in verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman; it is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with an animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation, or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done, who are before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also as you defile it uh, before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance, so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs, which are committed before you, and that you do not defile yourself, By them, I am the Lord your God. The reason why I wrote that last part to you guys is because a lot of people in our culture today who are Christians, they are believers, um, they do put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that don't like this section. They don't like what Leviticus 18 has to say. What they've done is they've said, like, oh, well, Leviticus 18 is not for us today, right? It's not for the church. We don't have to obey that. That was the old covenant. And we're in the new covenant of grace, and therefore it doesn't apply to us anymore. Now, I want you guys to notice that in those verses I just read to you, that what God is saying is that this is a universal standard. Did you guys catch that? He's saying this is not just something for the people of God. He's saying this is something that everybody ought to do. And uh, we talked about this briefly before, but I'll reiterate it for you guys tonight. The book of Leviticus, the law, the law that that God gave to his people, does contain specific ordinances only for the people of Israel. Things like kosher laws, not eating shellfish, not eating pork, things like that. That was only for the people of Israel. Um, Or the ceremonial laws, the baptismal laws, things like that. That was only for the people of Israel. But there are certain things contained in the law that's for everybody. For instance, thou shalt not murder. Okay, that's not just for the people of Israel. And as a Christian, I shouldn't look at that and be like, well, it's kind of like a moral, ethical, biblical claim. Why should I enforce my, um, my religiosity on people who want to murder? You know, why, why can't I just allow the country to do whatever they want? And if someone wants to murder, go at it. You guys understand that, right? These laws are for everybody, right? Everybody needs to follow them whether they believe in God or not. They're, they're what we would call a common law, something that should be understood and practiced by all peoples. This is one of them. Um, this section is, one of, is a section of laws of sexual commandments that God's saying are universal, that they are for everybody and for all time. And he even says to his people, if you don't follow these things, you're going to be kicked out of the land just as the people were kicked out of the land before you. You need to follow them. To make the matter even more intense, Jesus, a couple times during her, his earthly ministry, mentioned an idea of sexual morality and he condemned it. He said sexual morality is wrong, right? And in multiple sections of scripture in the New Testament, Jesus speaks of sexual morality. The word for sexual morality in the Greek is the Greek word porneia, um, from which we get our word pornography from. But if you look at the definition for porneia, it is Leviticus 18, right? It was the sexual morality for the Jew was Leviticus 18. You guys understand that? So when Jesus says that sexual morality is bad, it's wrong in these sections of Scripture, he is affirming the Old Testament in its sexual prohibitions. Then later on in the New Testament, you have the Apostle Paul in two different letters address the issue of homosexuality. For the church, in both instances, he condemns it, right? And these are in Romans 1 and in 1 Corinthians 6. He also mentions the idea of gender roles and diversity in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you guys ever want to read through that. So yeah, these are all affirmed in the New Testament, meaning that it is for today. Um, But most people, like I said, they don't want to do it. They don't want to follow these particular laws and commandments because it kind of interferes with what they think uh, or what they believe, right? So because homosexuality is becoming such a hot-button issue, more of the church is steering kind of further and further away from it. They don't want to talk about it. Or if they do talk about it, they again, they say, these are things that we don't listen to anymore as a body of believers, right? Is there anything you want to
1: say? You're jamming, dude.
0: <laughs> You're doing so good. Going through it. Cool. Yes. Excellent. But you know, I didn't want to just finish the sermon there and be like homosexuality is wrong. Do it, just end. end it right there. <laughs> and end. And then you guys just have this like harsh command and you don't understand why. I instead want to kind of go into the idea of why is it prohibited? Why is it wrong? Why does God say no to the idea of homosexuality? And I'm also going to kind of address some of the common, um, the common misconceptions about this command and some of the common objections to this commandment, okay? And like I said, we'll leave time at the end for you guys to ask questions. So the first thing let's begin with is why is it prohibited, right? Why is it prohibited? Now, we've touched on this before, but God created sex for a particular purpose and reason. And Bo, what, what is that reason? I don't know. Okay, no. all right, I'll go into it. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs>
1: no you, we've talked about this many times, right? That, that there's a purpose for the sexual relationship. And does anybody here remember kind of some of the reasons? I talked about the kind of ontological arguments in the past with you guys, meaning you have to move everything back to God's nature, um, how God is. Like, how does God describe himself? And how does that relate to sexuality? Um, Does anybody remember any of that? Or you guys have any thoughts towards that? Because me and Peter, man, we can lecture on this stuff all the time. I mean, this is what we do. But it's important for you guys to kind of work through it. Um, You know, so what do you guys think the purpose of sexuality? what, What is your understanding of it? what
0: babies
1: (laughs) babies okay so be fruitful and multiply
0: that is one reason yeah all right but god could have made us to procreate in a different way right we could procreate by budding. You know, some animals do that, where it just psh, comes off your head. And then just like, and that's how it does it. Drop out. Know, just right, drops yeah. out. You know, like yeah, why?
1: Why do we have to be together? Why, why do we, we have why to? Is,
0: yeah, why does there have to be a community? Why does there have to be intimacy? Why does there have to be unity? You know, do you guys <clears throat> remember? That's, that's right. right. So because God himself is a community, because God himself is a unity he created us in his image and likeness, which means that we have a uh, very particular role in the creation, and that role is to reflect the nature and characteristic quality of our Lord in heaven, right? That's, that's why humanity is here. That's your number one role and purpose in life. And part of reflecting God's nature is revealing his nature as a community and as a unity, right? So he created marriage, and he created intimacy, sexual intimacy, as kind of like the, the peak. If you think about the pyramid of, of human community, marriage and sexual intimacy is the peak of that pyramid. Do you guys get that? Where it's like friendships and stuff, do they reflect God's nature? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? If I have a friend, that's reflecting the nature of God's community within himself. It's reflecting his unity. It's reflecting his diversity, right? There's really cool natures to friends. Uh, Or even if I have a job, right? Does that reflect God's nature a little bit? Mm -hmm. My relationship between me and my boss, right? That reflects the nature of God having authority within his Godhead. We've talked about that, right? So every relationship I have does reflect a nature of God. But what I'm saying is that marriage is the absolute pinnacle. It most reflects God in his glory and his nature. Because of the depth of intimacy that's contained within it and the level of love and care and exclusivity that's within marriage. You guys get that? Right? So so marriage is at the peak. It's very, very cool, and sex is is within that that confines.
1: Yeah, God could have created Adam and Eve and and had them do something else to be like the pivotal glue that holds them together but instead he said hey the first thing he said is you guys have intimacy that was the first thing he said um, to his creation is have sex and so sex to God is like it's way up there it's like it's on this huge meaningful thing Um, that's all I got to say about that
0: where it's like if you, don't, if you don't have that mindset, just straight off, before we even get into the topic of homosexuality, if you don't have that mindset to begin with, going into sexuality, then none of what me and Bo are about to say will mean anything to you. Meaning if you don't see your sexuality as a means of glorifying God, and you see it as an ends unto itself, which most people do, meaning that most people when they look at their sexuality, they look at it as an end. They look at it as, I'm doing these things, I'm in this relationship to get to sex, right? They see it as, and it ends there. For the Christian, we don't see sex as the end, we see it as a means to glorifying our ultimate end, which is Christ. Do you guys get that? Right, so it's not an end. When I think about intimacy with my wife, that's not an end. That's a means to a greater end, a more beautiful end, a more precious end, which means that our marriage When I think about our marriage, and if one of you were to ask me, like, Peter, why are you married? My answer wouldn't be, oh, because marriage makes me happy. Or because, you know, this is what, I I was lonely before, but Emma fixed my loneliness. Or man, like, I wanted a great way to express my sexuality, and this is an awesome way, right? None of those answers are correct from a biblical worldview. They're all true to one extent, but they miss the point to another extent. The main purpose that I should say is the reason why I'm married is because I desire to honor God in every facet of my life, which includes my sexuality, right? I want that to be in submission to him, and I want that to honor him.
1: Now, hopefully, when you hear Peter share, hopefully in you there's like a, a, like a kind of like a, mm, I don't like that, <laughs> you know. Um, I know in me there is. Um, and I kind of like that, <laughs> you know, that there's a little bit of that, that kind of like, I don't know if I dig that. And, um, and, and that's, and the reason why I say that is because there's, uh, um, um, uh, a, a part of me that wants to be autonomous, um, meaning it wants to be independent of uh, others and wants to be independent of God, ultimately, Um, I don't want to have some dictator in the sky um, telling me what to do uh, because he's like fragile. If I don't do it, he like is freaking out. To me, that sounds really odd and weird. You know, like is God just some weird, freaked out, sensitive dude? Like where he, he, you know, like if I do something wrong, he's just like, you're an abomination. You're weird. You know, like to me, it sounds so lame um when i read it and and i kind of like that because it makes me go because i know in my heart like it makes me go man i need god like and and i need god to do a work in in my life there's things that i i read in the scripture that don't just hit me and go yeah like you know, I don't, I don't just look at everything God says. And I'm glad that's, because if the Bible's true and I'm a sinner and God's holy, then darn it, I shouldn't like half of the things the dude's talking about. Why? Because I'm a sinner. That's why. So it's like, if, you're, if it doesn't rub you the wrong way, I would be more concerned. Like, well, why doesn't it rub you the wrong way? It should. You're wicked. You're so wicked, God's abandoned the planet. I mean, that's, that's how bad we are. So it's like, man, his words got to hit me a little funky. You know, it's got to, when he, when he speaks, there's, there should be a little bit of like, I don't know if I like that, you know, with God. And so I, that's what I mean. I kind of like that feeling when I read God's word, where it says flee youthful lust. I kind of read those things and I go, why? What's wrong with you? God, are you like... Overly sensitive to me, or what are you like again? Are you some weird dude and you know that's kind of you know freaked out, some freaked out parent who's like hypersensitive, or or those type of things? And and then I have to then I, I because I know the Bible, I'm able to go, Well, no, God's character is not like that, you know. Um, you know, it's not that God's overly sensitive or that he's freaked out by these things, it's that he knows me, I'm, I'm his creation. And he knows purpose for why he created male and female. And so it comes back to that argument of, am I going to submit my sinful will over to the will of God? And that is not an easy question to answer in human beings. Don't ever think that is. That is a very difficult question. Um, question to answer. It's not simple to just submit yourself to a king or submit yourself to someone and say, yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you on everything that you say concerning my intimate life. You know, my intimate parts. Am I really willing to give you everything? You got to show that your character is good before I do something like that. I don't just give my sexuality and my intimate thoughts to everybody. Do you? Of course not. You know, you give, them t- you give it to people you trust. Right? And so I, I come back to, is God a worthy object of my worship? Then I get back to that question. Is God worthy of my sexuality in the first place? Is he even worth it? Has he proven himself to me? And then, I, then it leads me back to the cross. And what does the cross mean of God's care and concern for me? And that, that answers my question. Ding, 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 ding. The lights go on. And I go, oh, man, he does care for me. He does know my fragileness. Why? Because Jesus is the only way to God. That's Why? Because there's no other way. That's how fragile the situation is. If it wasn't so fragile, uh, he wouldn't have to come and hang on a cross, right? It's that fragile of a problem. The whole thing of trusting in the deity. It's not a simple thing. Or else everybody would do it. So... That's my little rant for now. <laughs> but hopefully those scriptures hit you and you read Leviticus and you go,
0: Ugh. I don't know. Where this should be a, a constant mental exercise of every Christian, you know, myself included. Because in times when we're sitting in church, it's easy to say, yeah, you know, I, I submit my sexuality to God. But every day, you know, there's going to be temptations that are going to come into my life where I'm going to want to go away from God's plan and purpose for my sexuality and every other aspect of my life. And in those moments, it's really hard to believe that God is better when the temptation is right in front of my face. Do you guys get that? It's kind of like if you're, if you're starving to death and someone puts a piece of cake in front of you, it's hard to in that moment just be like, I know that this is not good for me. You know, you can know that intellectually, but all your body is going to be saying is, I'm hungry. Does that make sense? And that's the issue. So all the time, we're going to have to go back to the idea of, is God worthy? Like, how worthy is he? Is he so worthy? Is he so beautiful? Is he so glorious? That even the best pleasure on this earth is still not as good as him, right? And I'm willing to lay down this potential pleasure I could have in my sin for the excellency of knowing him more. Do you guys get that? Right? If, if you can't do that kind of math in your head, if you can't really go before God and think that way, then basically what it's going to boil down to is your sexual purity will be exercises in pride and arrogance. Do you guys get that? Meaning that you're going to be exercising sexual purity, but you're going to be doing it so that you feel better about yourself. Right? And that doesn't honor God either. Right? Pride definitely doesn't glorify God or honor him. And we get into this idea of sexuality. What God says about the world is he says the world is very pleasurable. Right? The world is incredibly pleasurable and anyone can enjoy it. It's a common grace. Right? You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy a sunset or a good meal right? or sexual intimacy. But what God says about the world is that it's ultimately fading away, right? It's not eternal and it's not ultimate. And so any pleasure in this earth has limits to its glory. Do you guys get that? But God's saying, I'm, I don't have any limits. And if you use this world to honor me, you're raising the pleasure of this world to another level, to an ultimate level, to an eternal level. You guys get that? So anybody can enjoy their sexuality. You don't need to be a Christian to enjoy your sexuality. But all we're saying is that your sexuality becomes greater if it serves a greater purpose, right? If it is in line with honoring God, right? So no matter where you are on the spectrum, whether you do have homosexual tendencies or whether you do have heterosexual tendencies that go away from God's plan for your sexuality, all of us here are going to struggle with God's purpose and plan for our sexuality. All of us will. Right? There's not a single person in here that will be like, oh, I don't really struggle with that at all. No, you do. Right? You may struggle in different ways than me and Bo and other people, but you still are going to struggle with having your sexuality perfectly under the hand of your father. There's going to be times where you're going to want to rebel against that. Now, all this passage is saying is that there's a particular type of bend that some people have that goes against God's plan for their sexuality, and it's called homosexuality. Do You guys get that? Meaning that it's not on this level, right? You can't look at homosexuality and say it's like, oh, it's on this like total different level than any other sexual immorality. It's not, right? Every single time homosexuality is mentioned, it's always mentioned in a greater list of sin. It's never mentioned singularly. You guys get that? Even here in Leviticus 18, it's mentioned in a list, in Romans 1, is mentioned in the list. 1 Corinthians 6 is mentioned in the list. It's always mentioned in the list. And the reason why is because God's showing is that this is just one type of perversion in your sexuality, right? It's just one type. It's not. It's not weird or aberrant. It's just one type that you can. And for people who struggle this way, if they want to honor God with their sexuality, they will need to submit these desires to him. You guys get that? They will need to submit these desires to Him. Okay, now, the reason why God forbids it, if you guys didn't catch it already from all that we were saying, the reason why He forbids it is very simple. God is a unity, but He's also a diversity, right? He has different members within His unity. He has the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No one, no two are alike, right? They're all very different, but they're equal and they're unified in a common essence and being. When God created man and he created woman, you notice that he created woman differently than anything else on this planet. What did he create everything else, every other living thing on this planet out of? Do you guys know? Dirt, right? Everything on this planet was created from dirt. What was Eve made out of? A rib of who? Of Adam. You see what God did? He took a part of Adam and he made something different which means that they're of one essence, but they're what? Different in nature, right? They're separate. And he also made her distinct from Adam. That's why he called her woman. He says, you're different. You're not the same as a man. You're different. And when those two come together, when the differences between the man and the woman come together in intimacy and in marriage, do you see how that glorifies God? You see that honors his nature? Right? When you remove the diversity and you say, well, you know, like, let's just have same, right? So same-sex attraction in marriage. That ruins the picture that God created in Eden, and that's why he forbids it. Right? It doesn't really have anything to do with the fact, and, and we'll get more into this when I talk about the objections, it doesn't really have much to do with a lot of the arguments that a lot of Christians make. Meaning a lot of Christians make arguments like, oh, well, if you're in a homosexual relationship, it's not going to work. You're not going to have real fellowship or intimacy. It's just not going to work. It's like, is that true? Aren't there homosexual relationships that work? <laughs> right? I've run into, yeah, I had a dude in my class a Gap. Been married to his husband for, well, I mean, they've been together for, I think, 40 years, he said. They've been married for just like the last 10 or 15, you know, like whenever they were able to get to a state that accepted it. But, you know, they've been, I mean, that's much better than a lot of the heterosexual marriages I've counseled. <laughs> You know? And they seem to love each other still after forty years. I'm like, gosh, you know, I don't I know a lot of heterosexual couples that didn't make it past the first year. Any, Any
1: any sexual construct works if it's agreed upon.
0: That's right. Right? As long as there's common agreement and unity, right, it can work. Right. So that's not a good argument, right? The fact that it doesn't work is not a good argument. It could work, but does it glorify God is the question. Right. And, and by the way, this is kind of an aside, but Christians use this kind of argument for a lot of different types of sin. And it just doesn't work. Right. They'll tell people like, oh, you can't drink. You're going to ruin your life. It's going to completely mess up everything. Is that true? Does everyone who drink ruin their life with alcohol? Everyone. <laughs> That's why Jesus
1: life was ruined.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he drank <laughs> the he wine. Drank of the wine at the end.
1: So Man, you,
0: yeah. It's like, no, like tons of people drink and it doesn't ruin their life. And when we talk about things like even getting high or something like that, does everyone who get high automatically ruin their life? Bad life. It's like, Horrible. Auto, <laughs> down the toilet, sewer. That's right, look you know. at me. Yeah, Bo. I'm a mess. Loser. <laughs> not until he repented of That's that right. wickedness. You know? <laughs> no, it's like obviously it's not going to ruin your life. It, it will really take down some people. That's right. But it won't take down... Everybody.
1: That's right.
0: Right? Or people, or they say like, oh, well, you can't have multiple partners or you can't live together before marriage because it will ruin your relationship. Some people live before, together before marriage and they do great. Some people don't live together before marriage and they do terrible. Right? You know, don't, don't date a non-believer because it won't work out. There are couples that are dating, you know, they're unequally yoked and they've been married for a long time. They do great. And again, there are some couples that are totally equally yoked and they suck. Right? They have, they're both Christians, but they hate each other. Right? The idea of does it work, that's not the argument of why we do it. The question is, does it honor God? And that's really that should all, matter, all that should matter to us. You can have a great life and not honor God. All we're saying is that honoring God is the best life. Right? You can have a great life without God, but you can't have the best life without him. Right? You need him to have ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment. <laughs>
1: And you always have to remember that the Bible is dealing with e- a big topic and that's eternal life. I mean that's what it's dealing with is um can you have a a life in polyandry? Yeah, can you have a life in polygamy? Absolutely. Can you have a life in you know heterosexuality? Sure. Homosexuality? Yeah you know pansexuality sure you can have you have a life in whatever whatever sure the bible's dealing with eternal life that, that's the that's the big issue and and it's authority issue it's an authoritative issue that's the one that we struggle with it's an authority issue am i am i okay with a, this kind of authority um you know, or am I not, you know, any sexual issue that I've ever had, it's always been an authority issue. It's always one of, like, in the garden, it's the same story, right? Did you really say, did God really say no? <laughs> you know, that's always the the big issue, you know, so, um, you know, you always got to remember that that the Bible is always dealing with things on eternal levels, on yeah, you can have a happy life, um, and if that's what you're shooting for in life, it, it is to live a happy happy life like on the planet, then sure, man, go, you know, do what you got to do, you know, um, that kind of thing. But if you're shooting for eternal life, and 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 you're investigating that, you're looking into is the Bible a a worthy authority? over your life. You have to get to uh, the conclusion of that question. You have to, and that's through investigation, you have to look into it and go and make the decisions you got to make. You got to be able to say, is Jesus, is, is he really who he said he was? Um, did he really rise from the dead? These are all huge questions that, that are so much Im- impact. They impact, the answers of those questions impact your sexuality, Because it's an authority issue. If you say, well, no, I don't think he maybe existed or I don't think he was who he claimed to be, and you have an argument for that, then that's going to affect the way you walk in your life. And it'll affect your sexual decisions as well because you won't have that authority over you. You won't have big brother watching you going, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Instead, you will be autonomous. You can do what you want to do, and so that is the struggle. You know, those though it always comes back to that is like is Jesus uh, is is he who he is who he was is are those is is that what I really believe yes or no. Um, and so when you're struggling with sexuality, you're always going to go back to authority issues. Um, Whenever you're questioning sexuality or gender or things like that, you're, you're always going to go back to the authority question, you know, in your life. I would love, in my flesh, I would love to be able to be, to do whatever you want to do. I would. That's, downright honest with you guys. I would love that. Just to do, but I I know and I believe that that is not the way to go. And that belief system is based off of who I believe Jesus is. And I've had to make a decision on that, who I believe Jesus is. But in my flesh, just in my nature as a human being, I think, man, that would be great. Wouldn't it be great just to live in a world where you can just kind of, you know, there's no consequences for your intimate actions. Right? You can just kind of go to the person, whoever you, you you like that day or something and just be like, oh, hey, you know? You know, I think, I think you know, Thor's cute. I want to have <laughs> relations with Thor. I want to have You know, you want to have, you you can just, you know, go any direction you want. A part of me just goes, man, that's so awesome. But then I think like how I grew up too. And I think, did that really work, (laughs) you know, in the world? And I think, no, it didn't. Because it seems like whenever you go the way you want to go, it overrides someone else's autonomy. Meaning you tend to be the authority over the other person. Does that make sense? Meaning, even though I don't want God to be authoritative over me, I don't mind me being authoritative over you. Does that make sense? Meaning there's something in us as human beings that we can't get around this idea of authority. We don't, we don't want God to be an authority on our sexuality, but again, I don't mind me being an authority on your sexuality. And so that's what I saw growing up, right? Go to a party... Hook up with a girl, take advantage of a girl, those type of things. You know, you know it's happening. You know you're taking advantage of the person. They probably know they're getting taken advantage of as well. And you're you're pursuing that. You're going down it because you at that point are the authority. The buck could stop with me. It could I could stop right at a moment and say, Hey, this ain't this probably isn't what you want, and it's probably not what I want. You know, we probably shouldn't be doing this. It's not going to go in the greatest way. Probably going to wake up in the morning and be like, what do we do? But there's something in me that, that, that puffs me up and makes that authority go, I, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. I just care about getting my needs met now. And so we can't get around, no matter how your opinion is on God, you can't get around the authority issue. It still impacts your life, whether you throw off God or whether you don't. You still have this authority thing you're dealing with. It's just whether God's going to have authority over you or you're going to have authority over someone else. But you really, uh, you know, you never really can get around it. kind of leads us back to am I going to come underneath God? Is he a righteous authority? Is he a good authority? Is he a caring, compassionate authority? Or am I going to come under some other authority on my sexuality? And maybe maybe that person I'm coming under is my own thoughts, is my own mind. But I'm just saying that Is coming under your own mind, is that really beneficial? Is that really... Is that really... Does that really work? Um, Or can that go bad too? And how many people are going off their own authority who do tremendous, horrible things like date rape or things like that? How many... People are going off their own authority, you know, to do things like that. So just because you're autonomous of God, it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to treat everybody nice uh, because now you're your own God, so to speak. You're just, you're your own authority, you know. So Peter's right. It always comes back to those simple things of like, hey, Am I going to, what authority am I going to trust on this issue, you know? And in a secular college, um, even a Christian college, but in academia, um, when you have a culture that has so bought into Darwinism, as ours has, it's very difficult to not be autonomous from God. I mean and and that's really I think where we are where the the difficulty comes in in culture um, is when you're in a, a society that's constantly saying there is no God and that you know evolution's true and there is no God and that's just repeated over and over and over from when I was a kid anyway then then the ultimate result of that was I am my own authority in all areas of my life ultimately um, and and that means that I am going to be my own God at this point in life, and and so there it is. And the Bible obviously says that's not the proper way. But not only does the Bible, uh, um, Islam would make the same claim, and not just Islam, but any religion would make the same claim that there that there is a there is. They would all say that there is a better way. And but it, it comes down to: but is the is the Bible's way the right way? Do you see how you have to always work this back to your the idea of is the Bible true? Is Jesus who he really claimed to be? It all hinges on that. Because um, if he's not, then we're wasting our time.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, even the Apostle Paul said, if Jesus isn't raised, we are of all men to be most pitiable, right? What he meant by that is, if Jesus isn't who he said he is, and he really isn't God, then following his moral commandments is, number one, foolish, because they're probably not right. And number two, it's not eternally significant anyway, right? Because that means if there is no resurrection, if there is no life after this world, then you should just live, for whatever you want to live for, um, Christianity comes into your life and says, "No, you're going to have to not do things that you want to do, right? You're going to be want you're going to want to do these things. You're going to have a desire to go against the commands of God, and you're going to have to control those urges and submit them to God and follow Him anyway, even when it isn't easy, right? There's kind of this weird thought process in Christianity now that." Christianity is an easy pursuit that you're just gonna want to do the right thing all the time and you're doing the right thing is always gonna feel good and it will always be beneficial. And the fact of the matter is is that was doing the right thing beneficial for Jesus? Did it benefit him in a physical way? Did it benefit the apostles to follow God? right? It cost him everything, right? And the only way that the Apostle Paul could look at his life, which by the way, he, his life sucked from any perspective, in and out of prison all of his life, beaten for most of his life, right? Subjected to torture, subjected to horrible things, mockery, abuse, and eventually he had his head cut off, right? The only way that you could look at that dude's life and you can say, honestly, Paul lived a good life is if Jesus rose from the dead, Does that make sense? Because then he was following someone who had a significant ministry and who was leading him to eternal life. Do you guys get that? That's the only way you can reconcile the two. In America, we have this kind of issue where we live in a land of prosperity. And so we feel as if Christianity should just be easy. We feel like it should just always be profitable for us. And we are so resistant to suffering we're so resistant to loss, we're afraid of it, and we're afraid of what following Jesus. We're just like, gosh, when even the thought of loss enters into our minds, we become fearful. Do You guys get that? That's why the Christian church went ballistic when there was thought, when there was talks about homosexuality being legalized, right? Homosexual marriage being legalized in America. Christians were freaking out. It's like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, It means what it's always meant. The world doesn't want God, right? Why should the world going away from God affect you in the slightest, right? Your relationship with God should be about you and him anyway, right? So the world's going to do what they're going to do. That shouldn't impact your relationship with the Lord, and it shouldn't impact your love for the people around you. It shouldn't move anything, right? But we freak out because when the law starts coming against us, We panic because we see loss coming down the road, and we don't want that, right? Christianity is a pursuit of great gain, but only through terrible loss, right? That's what the cross teaches us. Jesus had great gain through the cross, but he also had terrible loss, right? So, As I have to deal with my sexual desires that go against God's will, there's going to be a level of suffering in me, of having to suppress those and having to not follow them. But it's better for the excellency of God. Do you guys get that? That's the contention. So whenever you guys have struggles, do you go back to that? Or do you just kind of white-knuckle it and you're like, no, because God said no, you know, and so I won't do this. And man, this is gross. I can't be a part of this, right? If, if that's all you do, at best it's going to make you self-righteous. At worst, you're going to just beat up on yourself all the time because you're not going to find victory and you're just going to feel like a dirtbag. right? The only way you're going to have any true victory is if you're able to dial it back and go like, wait, wait, wait. Is God worthy? Did he say this? Is this for him? Right? So that even if you fail, you're like, well, he died for me. He loves me. I'm going to keep pursuing him. Right? It's okay. Does that make sense? That's why you hear a lot of Christians say things like, dude, I just can't forgive myself. You know why they say that? Why they say I can't forgive myself? They say that because they weren't doing it for God in the first place. They were doing it for themselves and they failed themselves. And that's why they can't forgive themselves. If you're doing it for God, does God already forgive you? Yeah, he does. The reason why you can't accept his forgiveness is because you weren't doing it for him in the first place. You guys understanding this? All right, so next week I want to get into the idea of objections and we can get into much cooler stuff. <laughs> I think this has definitely been an awesome talk, though. Yeah, if, I could, if
1: I could share one more thing. Yeah. Is yeah. that cool? Is yeah, that cool with you guys? <laughs> one more thing I'm going to hit you with. And then we'll do <laughs> some questions. Smack. <laughs> no. Um, and is this. is Leviticus 18 is, is when the Bible in the New Testament says... Um, no sin has o- overtaken you such that is not common to mankind, right? They're all n- normal. Leviticus 18 is a description of the common sins of the of the culture of the world. That's what God's describing actually is. He, he calls it the pagan nations around Israel, but just the normal world. So it you know these things should not freak us out like you you shouldn't be freaked out by homosexuality at all that should that should be a normal thought it's it's kind of funny we live in a culture now where people are like oh like homosexuality is normal you know well and, and it's such a weird to me cuz i'm like yeah it's always been normal you know incest yeah that's that's normal you know bestiality people have been having sex with animals for long periods of time You know, that's normal. That's what human beings do. That's what we do. We have a sex drive. We have libido. We like to have sex. It doesn't really matter who with sometimes. We just do it. That's kind of frank, I know, but but that's just the fact, you know. It's kind of what I find odd is we live in a culture that somehow doesn't recognize that. Why is that? Why do we live in a culture that is the other way? That thinks like, thinks like this, like that's weird. And that's what I find awkward. And it's not, and, and, and I can get into the reasons why, but I'll just real briefly, I'll say it this way. You don't even have to be a Christian and you think this stuff's weird. Does that make sense? You cannot even be a person of Islamic faith or any other Hindu or whatever and you'll look at you'll you'll look at some of these behaviors and be like that's all that's just that's wrong. You know. But why is it wrong? What makes it wrong? Right? That's what I find odd. Why is You know, why do people that don't even have a a religious, even inkling in their, their, like, why did I, when growing up, you know, even in my culture, if I thought of incest, I'd be like, that's wrong. Do you believe in God, Bo? No. Is incest wrong? Yeah. (gasps) Where did I even get that? Why is it wrong? Why not? You know, what makes us have to really think through you know, maybe there's something in human beings that we're wired in such a way where we just can't get around these ideas of right and wrong. And that something is right and something is wrong. And even, even when I say, you know, it's okay, I'm still moving within a, a morality framework. Um, even when I say I don't even believe in God, And I think my life's okay. I'm still working within morality frameworks, paradigms. Um, Meaning even when I was an atheist, I couldn't get around the ideas of right and wrong. I couldn't just look at things and just be like, yeah, that's fine. Even though I wanted to. Does that make sense? I wanted to think rape was fine. That you can go and party and hang out with a girl and get her drunk and sleep with her and that's fine. I wanted so badly to think that was okay in my mind. But I knew it wasn't. I wasn't religious in the slightest. I didn't know about really religion things. But there was something in me, though, that said, that's wrong. What was that? Why is it even there? You know, it's kind of awkward, you know, it's kind of weird. So Leviticus 18 is one of those things where God's describing the a life the 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 pursuit of the world apart from God. That's what we do. You know, and if you don't think that's true, by the way, just watch porn. Just go online tonight and just start watching a ton of porn. <laughs> right? And and it'll prove your point. Or prove the point. Why? Because pornography is just a reflection of Leviticus 18. It's just the vivid reflection of it. Right? Because, you know, pornography is just a reflection of human beings. That's all it is. Right? It's human beings. Unless you're watching cartoon or animated. Right? But it's just human beings. Right? It's just what's in our heart. And even if it's animated, right, we're making it. So it's just a reflection of us. But what is in it? What is in it? If you really want to see the way we really think about sexuality, if you really want to see about it, watch porn. Because that's really what we as human beings think of sexuality. And you will find everything in Leviticus 18. Every part. Incest. Porn. Do your stepmom. Do your stepdad. Do your brother. Do your mommy. Do this. Do your aunt. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's just loaded in there, man. You can find bestiality. You can find everything. That's right, because that's all what's a reflection of human. That's us. Yeah, porn is not something to be scared of. Porn is you. That's what. It's all a reflection of us. It's what is in the debased heart. And on that note, (laughs) we'll end the night. (laughs) Do you guys have any questions before we wrap up? Well, if someone says they don't believe in moral absolutes, that's a moral absolute probably. So you can always use logic on them. So if someone says, hey, I don't believe in moral absolutes, we'll just say, hey, is that a moral absolute? You know, not to believe in moral absolutes?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so... That's a really interesting question. Uh, if where does morality come from, if not from the Bible? So you're saying, like, a secular person, someone doesn't believe in God at all, right? So, because obviously, if you're Islam, they would say, oh, it comes from Allah, right? So <laughs> it's a biological
1: so, substrate, man. Right? <laughs> That's what it is.
0: So basically, what the only answer an atheist would have, a secular person would have, is we get our morality from our survival instinct. Meaning that you know, like, if you look at any species. Um, of animal on the planet they have certain moral codes they have certain things that they will do and certain things they won't do does that make sense because that's what's beneficial for their survival Um, like an
1: instinctual code
0: like an instinctual code but there's two obvious problems with that when it comes to humanity number one is is that if we've evolved with this instinctual code why doesn't anyone do it does that make sense So it's like if if we understand that there's certain morality in this world like what Bo was saying that I understand certain things are wrong That means that that comes from that feeling of wrong comes from my instinct to survive as a species But the problem is why is it that a lot of people on this planet aren't following that instinct? Right, so if I understand for instance, it's wrong to hurt somebody else Why is it that people are hurting people all the time? Right, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense the second thing is, is that instinct has nothing to do with morality. And we all understand that when we look at the animal kingdom. Meaning, like, is it moral? Like, what's the use of talking about ethics when it just comes down to instinct? So, like, for instance, if, uh, if uh, in lions, in, in the species of lion, if uh, a dominant male gets taken out by a rival, he will go into that den and he'll eat all the cubs of his rival. Uh, of his rival. Does that make sense? He actually eats those children. Now, is it any real use me looking at that line and saying, that seems like morally wrong? That seems evil. Like, am I really going to look at lions and be like, what an evil species of animal that they would do that? Right? I wouldn't say that because that's just what is good for them. Right? That's how they've, that's their instincts. That really, it really doesn't have any bearing. So why is it that when I look at a human and they do something that I don't think they should do, I say, you shouldn't have done that? Do you understand that? Right? You would never say that to an animal because that's just its instinct. If I see another human being, like, or if I look at animal species, I don't think I've ever seen an act of consensual sex in the animal kingdom ever. Does that make sense? Whenever I see, like, two birds having sex, it always looks like the male one's birds. One's running, like, man. One's running. The female or something. One's like, or, like, I'm getting like, out of here. You know, it's like, like uh, it doesn't, uh. look, doesn't look happy to me, you know. Or if I see two dogs, like, it doesn't seem like the chick's too into it, you know. Like, no, the male dude. dog just, like, comes in and just, like, jumps on her and does what he wants and then leaves, you know. It's like, it doesn't seem too consensual. Am I really going to look at those animals? I'd run like, too, man.
1: <laughs> I'd run too, Emma.
0: I'm really going to look at those animals and be like, oh, rape. You know, like molestation, horrible. Yeah. It's like, no, that's just how they procreate. Yeah, in
1: animal kingdom, it's all misogynist. <laughs> it's all mis- misogynistic. People always complain, you know, it's misogynistic, you know, male run. Yeah, it's all run, male, besides spiders. <laughs> 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 Maybe the spider kingdom's the only Spine. different one
0: right they're the pure kingdom (laughs) that's right because it's it's more uh uh uh, matriarchal uh, yeah yeah Yeah, the women usually eat the men though so i don't know if it's too much pure (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but you see the point though right if if a man raped a woman though i wouldn't be like oh well he's just that's his instinct to procreate like there's nothing wrong with that obviously we would say there's something wrong with that so what what you're just showing them is that you do believe in morality you just don't understand right and if there is a morality you do have to ask the question of where did it come from. It clearly doesn't come from our biology or our instinct. It supersedes that, right? So as a Christian, I believe it comes from God and his nature, but that's it.
1: Yeah, some, they're going to they're gonna say, though, people usually say, well, it's like instinctual. You know, morality is instinctual. But the problem is, is we make judgments off of instinctual reactions. Um, does that make sense? We have another capacity as human beings, not just to react on instinct, right? So if um, there's a fire, I think C.S. Lewis puts it like this, if there's a fire and your instinct is to flee from danger, but if you know there's a child in the, in the house, then there's something that's overriding the instinct to, for survival. Does that make sense? You know, so, so that's what human beings have. They have a capacity to not just have instinct, right, like sexual urges, instinctual urges, and, but they have a capacity to make judgments off of the instinct, whether the in, whether to override it or not. So it's so if someone says who doesn't know, uh, doesn't believe in. Um, kind of a deity you know where uh, morality sense of morality they would say well you know we just get it from our instinct in biology well well no then why do we make judgments off of our instinct why do we make judgments about our instinct so it's got to be something even above our instinct that's happening we're making judgments to override instinct you know all the time
0: any other questions
1: it's a good question
0: it's a good question that's cool, man. Awesome, yeah. Bo. You want to pray for us? No. Cool. <laughs> <Who? laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right, you sure. guys are dismissed. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the mercy that you've shown us in your son, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> we, we ask that you would help us uh, to understand you more, that you would give us opportunities uh, throughout this week to get in your word and uh, to get the answers that we need for life And we pray that you would put a a love in us for our community and um, help us to uh, shine uh, that love with other people. In Jesus' name, amen.